Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Vicki Garrison was once a prominent member of the Quiverful community, a Christian fundamentalist movement that bans birth control and encourages huge biblical families. Garrison edited and published a Christian, quote, pro-life, pro-family newspaper for 16 years and more while home churching, home birthing, and homeschooling seven children. She made waves when she left the Quiverful movement, divorced her husband, and began speaking out against the lifestyle. She's American Atheist, current Atheist of the Year. She also started the blog No Longer Quivering to provide support to women and children who are escaping abusive religious movements and to provide the public with accurate and compassionate information on the unique challenges faced by the spiritually abused. Thanks, Vicki. Thank you. So for people who are unfamiliar with uh, the Quiverful lifestyle and that brief description, how do you explain what Quiverful means to people who have not heard of it before? I like to describe Quiverful as a very powerful head trip. It is this vision of a great, big, happy, godly family. And when you get that, that paradigm really is what it is. It's this worldview. As soon as you get that vision, it just kind of infects your mind and it affects every aspect of a believer's life. Um, Quiverful is basically Christian fundamentalism lived out. When you hear about biblical family values, you hear about traditional family, um, Quiverful believers are the ones who latch onto that and say, okay, that's what I'm going to actually do. Because there, there are Christians who will assent and say, yes, I, I believe in pro-life. Well, do you believe enough to, you know, say no to ditch birth the birth control, <laughs> right? Or there are Christians who say, of course, the man is the head of the home. Well, do you believe that enough to submit to your husband, to make him the leader of your home? So these are the things you, it's, it's not anything that's like an aberration. It's no, there's no unique teachings in Quiverful. It's just these people take it seriously and they're actually living it out. So do they look down upon families that only have one kid, two kids, God, you know, women who have like, I don't want any kids. Well, <laughs> you know, and Quiverful that? isn't really about the number of children. That it's a lifestyle. It, it's a it's, mentality. It's the mentality. Okay. And so as long as you are open to the idea that God is the one who's in control, that he's the one who is in charge of the womb, and you're not holding that back, whether you have one, none, um, a dozen, whatever, that's, that's really not the point. It's not a matter of how many children you have. It's a matter of the mentality that you have. Are you willing to accept? Some of what you're saying sounds a lot like 
Catholic teaching in the sense that, okay, let's say no to birth control. If we want to do birth control, we'll do it naturally. We'll time mm-hmm. it out just right. But we were used to seeing like Catholic families that are very big. Um, what's the connection? Is there a connection between like those Catholic families with like seven, eight, nine kids and quiverful families that may have that same amount? Yeah, I think that there there is a connection as far as the, the family dynamic and how it goes in having a large family. But I think that there is a huge difference in the approach to it. You know, you talk about natural family planning. We, we were always taught that it's not natural to abstain during a woman's, you know, that's the time yeah. of the month when a woman wants to have relations. And so um, any kind of of um, trying to control or not control, like it's it's all in God's hands. It's this idea that children are an unmitigated blessing from God, and you need to let Him decide, you know, whether an eternal soul is going to be coming into existence. Right. I have one kid, and we'll talk about this eternal blessing thing because right. that's a handful. But uh, right. before I get there, I think most people, if they have any familiarity with Quiverful, it's because of the Duggar family, that's like the the one that they've all heard of. Yes. But they're relatively new to the scene. I mean, we didn't really know about them 10 years ago. So is this some newer phenomenon, this quiverful idea, or has it been going on for decades and decades and maybe just under the radar somehow? It goes back um, quite a few decades, actually. And it started, I'm going to say, really took off with, like Bill Gothard when he had the Institute for Basic Life Principles and he would have these seminars and there was Mary Pride who was um, teaching, at, you know, from a very... This has really started when the home, Christian homeschooling movement began and that is where it really proliferates. That's where you really run into the teachings a lot. So it's been around for a while, but I think that it's really kind of grown and it has gotten more visibility because of the Duggar family. But, um, you know, I've, I've kind of seen this thing in Christianity where because of the Internet, because it's so easy to get information, kind of just middle-of-the-road Christianity, people don't really do that so much anymore. They're one, you know, they look at the Bible, they look at it, the, and they're like, okay, so they either go for this more progressive kind of softer, gentler Jesus, or they're like, oh, no, we've got to stick, you know, with the Bible, King James. So they dig in and they go back to the old path. So I, I kind of see this polarization. And, and I think that's why the quiverful is growing. And then the more that we feel threatened, then that's when the families are like, oh, I've got to protect my children. So they start homeschooling. They get into the quiverful ideal. And that lifestyle really picks up. Um, okay, so how does this work? Help me explain, because <laughs> what's the age range for your kids? Um, my oldest daughter is 17 years older than my youngest. Okay. I have seven children. Okay, so how does that work? Because like I said, I have one kid, and I know how stressful that is. How do you make it work? How do Quiverful families make it work when they have one kid after another, maybe only a year apart, maybe two? Um, how do you stay not crazy <laughs> when when I got into Quiverful and I, I first encountered these families I was looking at them in awe because their children are so well behaved they seem to really have their act together they're so you know everything is organized I'm like how how do you do it but once I got into the movement there's so many tips and there's so many 
strategies. And a lot of it depends on some very strict child training um, disciplines that, you know, there's a lot of crowd control going on in there. But no, it's okay. I was thinking, like, <laughs> I, I wonder how much, how many of these kids end up losing their childhood because they end up being a makeshift parent. Absolutely. The older daughters, particularly, are the ones who are making this lifestyle possible because you have to depend on those older kids. You have to train them so well that they can run the house in your absence I mean, and cooking, that happens. cleaning, changing cooking, diapers. They're Absolutely. They are like mini mamas from a very young age. Yeah, and how old are they when they're taking care of like a younger sibling? Are they like oh, 14 or are they six? six oh, wow. Eight. Um, by the time they're 14, you know, they they could just, you you wouldn't even need to be there because they are so efficient. They become, you know, little mamas. And the thing about it is that when you when you have your children so well trained and i would say you know almost like automatons is what my children became but i remember being in the movement and people would would say you know oh i don't even know how you can do it because i can just barely handle my two kids and i would look at their two kids and i think you know if i had your two kids i wouldn't be able to handle them either <laughs> They're little monsters sometimes. They're, they can be. But there is, in, in Quiverful, there is a very, um, you know, the roles are so strictly defined. Mm -hmm. And especially the gender roles, especially, you know, the honor, the obedience, the authority, all of that is so spelled out that, um, you know, you don't, your kids aren't like everybody else's kids. They don't have a chance to just act up because everything is so regimented. Everything is so um, so ordered that, you know, these kids, they just fall into line. They are like little Duggar children. And so I, I want to talk about how you started breaking free of all this at some point. But just talk me through how long was this going on for you before you started having any doubts about the lifestyle or Christianity at all? Okay. Well, I started out fairly... Um, you know, when I first became a Christian at age 17, I went to like Word of Life, Word of Faith, Charismatic churches. But gradually I got more and more into the fundamental churches, the Baptist churches. Um, but it wasn't until I started homeschooling. And the homeschooling was kind of a fluke because my daughter, she was not quite five and she was really smart. She could already read. And but she wasn't old enough to go to kindergarten. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to keep her challenged. Right. And my pastor's wife suggested, you know, just homeschool her. And I was like, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. But she showed me some curriculum. And, you know, kindergarten, it's, it's super easy. And I was like, okay, well, this could be fun. I'll try it for a year. And it was during that year that I went to a Christian homeschooling conference and I encountered these ideas and so that was really the thing. And, and it was about 16 years of my Christian life that we were really fully into the quiverful ideal. Wow. So how do you break free from this at any point? So what is it that led you to think maybe something's up with all this? Well, the quiverful lifestyle is extremely demanding. It is a harsh life for the woman, for the older daughters. And so I was, you know, so committed to the ideal. I fully believed. 
I, you know, considered myself a wholehearted Christian. And I was, I had so much of a martyr mentality because that is definitely at the root of, of a woman's role within this paradigm. And so, you know, here I was just knocking myself out. I was risking my life in childbirth because I had some issues that made it literally a life-threatening condition for me. Um, you know, but homeschooling you still- all of those children and just, you know, the... It is so hard. You don't even have a chance to relax. And if you relax, you're like going to pass out because you don't have any energy left. So I got to the point physically where I was just breaking down, um, burning out. Is <laughs> this know, after wasn't the working. seven kids? Um, you know, I, I had the seven. My last one, I actually had a partial uterine rupture where, you know, it was very, it was very close call for me and for the baby. But I was so committed to the ideal that then I went ahead and got pregnant two more times, had early miscarriages. Oh but that's how, wow. that's how steeped I was in it and how committed I was. Like, if it was going to kill me, you know, my life verse was, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I was fully, you know, doing it. But what happened is I was looking at the, the impact on my children and... <laughs> I was seeing that they were not thriving. They were not doing well. Our homeschooling sucked because I just didn't have the energy for it. I couldn't keep up. It is an unsustainable lifestyle. And I finally got to the point where I was just like thinking, I'm knocking myself out for my children, for this ideal. And they are so unhappy. The whole house had become so oppressive, the whole whole atmosphere. And none of us, you know, it felt like we were just all losing our minds. Because nothing was working. And it's because we had such regimented, you know, we had these strict roles. The children, they were not allowed any individuality. They had their whole life scripted, you know, handed to them chapter and verse. This is how it's going to be. And so there was no room for any kind of exploration. There was no kind. And so when I was realizing that my children, you know, that the effect that I was working so hard for I was getting the opposite. I thought something is not adding up. So what did you do with that doubt? Well, what happened is I actually had an opportunity to meet an uncle on my dad's side that I had never known. I didn't know my dad when I was growing up. And so when it, while I was very steeped in this quiverful ideal, there's a, a huge emphasis on the Fifth Amendment, uh, fifth Commandment, um, honor your father and mother. And I thought, well, I, don't, I want to practice what I preach. I want my kids to honor their parents. And what am I doing? You know, yeah. I don't even know where he is or anything. So I looked him up on the Internet. I thought, well, I'll, you know, find him and share the gospel. <laughs> yes, as one does. <laughs> right. So I called him, and it turns out he was already Christian and, you know, told him about our life. And he was, he was really proud of us, you know, because we were this good, godly Christian family. Uh, we actually had won a Family of the Year award. <laughs> <laughs> so so that was all cool. But then about three years later, I got a chance to meet the rest of his family. And uh, before we went there, my dad called me up and he says, you need to be careful about your Uncle Ron because he's not a Christian and he's kind of tricky <laughs> and he's going to try to confuse you. 
Maybe <laughs> try to confuse you uh-huh. by maybe talking to you or <laughs> what, asking you questions. Yeah, and I was so offended because <laughs> I was like, I was the most sold out Christian. I was the best Christian I knew. I was like, nobody, I don't even have the, the slightest inkling of doubt. I'm willing to put my life on yeah, the line for Yeah, you can't trick this. me. How low do you think of me that I could right. be tricked? Right, Yeah. And so, um, but I met him and I liked him right away. It turns out he's just a nice guy. That's how they get you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so we started, we actually started emailing each other, which was, was a unique thing within Quiverful because there's such a, uh, you know, an emphasis on the gender roles. And so a woman just basically doesn't talk to a man unless they're related um, or maybe a pastor. But even then, you know, it's all very um, regimented in what you're allowed to say and, you know, all of that. But this guy's my uncle, right? So nobody could say, no, don't talk to him. I mean, never mind that he's basically a stranger, but we happen to share DNA, so it's all right. So (laughs) I use that as an opportunity because I did have these doubts in my, you know, I was thinking something's not adding up and obviously, you know, I'm missing something. And so I used that correspondence as an opportunity to just start going back and saying, why am I doing this? Um, you know, and I'm trying to explain to my uncle about my lifestyle, the choices that we were making, but I couldn't refer to the Bible because he didn't accept that as any kind of authority. Did he understand where so, you were coming from? Did he understand your lifestyle? Or I, you just, I, think eh, he, I think he did. I think, you know, he knew enough about what fundamentalism was, and I didn't call myself a fundamentalist. I didn't even know what was going on, but he probably had a better perspective of it than I did. But so here I am trying to explain without reference to chapter and verse, and so I'm having to think, okay, how can I explain this that makes sense without quoting the Bible? And after a while, I got to realizing, I was like, you know, without the Bible, it actually doesn't make sense. It's actually (laughs) kind of weird. (laughs) So it was through that process that I was able to go back and reexamine everything, things that I had accepted, you know, as a firm foundation, and then just kind of built my life on. How long did it take from when you met your uncle to when you realized this for yourself? It didn't take very long, maybe six months. Okay. And only then because, you know, I had all the kids and I had the, I, I didn't have time to just fully <laughs> throw myself to into think it. it through. Right. So what did you do then? So now you have these doubts. You think, okay, I don't think the Bible is right about <laughs> this stuff. That That's still a far cry from I'm going to throw this life away. Right. Well, I, I finally got to the point where I realized that I didn't believe enough about the Bible and Christianity to be able to call myself a Christian. And here I am, you know, the way we were earning a living supporting ourselves was publishing a pro-family Christian newspaper. So I'm editor of a Christian newspaper. I've got, you know, this whole lifestyle that is totally revolved around Jesus, and I don't even really believe in Jesus anymore. And so I kind of panicked. (laughs) I was like, I don't know what to do. But, I mean, when you've got little kids, my youngest at the time was four, you can't just be like, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll just take a sabbatical and think <laughs> about this. I just had to, you know, day by day start start yeah. doing stuff. I did divorce my husband right away because I thought, you know, the only reason that I've stayed with him is because the Bible says God hates divorce. And so... Help me, help me understand that one because 
I can understand the I don't think I believe in the Bible anymore, but that's a big turn because it doesn't sound. Uh, I don't mean to get too personal here. It doesn't sound like there were any marital issues other than, you know, you were married under this kind of quiverful lifestyle or something. How do you go well, from this Bible doesn't make sense to I'm, I'm going to step away from this completely? See, the thing is, when we got married, we were completely, you know, kind of an egalitarian thing. Uh, my ex-husband is blind. And so he was not, he was on disability. He wasn't able to go out and work. He loved kids, so it made sense for him to, you know, be in the home taking care of the kids. I did really good in school. I have an easy time making money, so I'm like, okay. I can know, do this on my own. I'll, I'll, I'll make the money. You take care of the kids. And that was working for us. But then as we got into the more fundamentalist churches and we found out that, you know, that's not God's way. God does not approve He's the one that's supposed to make the money. I'm supposed to be doing the baby stuff. And so, you know, we kind of just like convoluted everything and turned it all around. And we're just working against our natural, you know. And and I really uh, also, I think that if I hadn't had that motivate, you know, that biblical motivation to stay in a marriage, probably very early on, I would have been like, ah, we're just not that compatible. Okay. So things had drifted apart maybe, and this was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. And he panicked too. You know, when he realized I was losing my faith, he was like, (laughs) sure. I mean, that's kind of everything that you guys knew. So that's scary. So for a little bit, I was like, you know, if you would just give me a chance to think maybe I can find, you know, figure this out and find a way to get us through this. But, um, he was just, he was in such a panic mode. He actually took my kids, the six that were still at home to his family about three hours away and basically held them hostage to try and get me back into line. They came up with this list, him and a home church pastor, of things that I needed to comply with if I wanted to see my kids or even talk to them on the phone. Oh, my goodness. And when that happened, it was like, no, it cost me a lot to bring these kids into the world, and you're not going to use them as pawns. Right. And so I just like, you know, let me see my kids or I'm going to file for a divorce. So I went from, you know, marriage is sacred. I would never, you know, to like divorce. I didn't even think about separation or anything. I was like, no, you're not messing with my kids. So were your, any of your kids, what were they dealing with during all this? Cause were they going through the same process of shedding their faith or were they still no, devout they were, in this world? Yes. Um, you know, everything that happened as far as my, my reconsidering of my faith all happened up in my own head. Yeah. I didn't share it with them. And so, you know, during that time where he had taken them to his family and they were around all of these very fundamentalist Christians and they kept say, telling them, you know, your mom is being really influenced by Satan. Right. And so when I, you know, I filed for divorce, I got custody of the kids. And when I went and picked them up, they were freaked out. Like, oh, what sure. has happened to you, mom? <laughs> Spending a week with Satan. Um. Yeah. And so, but what... Also, when I when I picked them up, they were all like super sick, sicker than they had ever been. One of my kids had MRSA. Another one yeah. had such a bad ear infection that her eardrum burst, and and they were just you know all kinds of sick. And of course, my health was not that good in the, at that time anyway. And so I immediately caught what they had. So for about two weeks, we were just dragging around, barely you know just like survival mode. 
And we didn't say a lot. We didn't have a lot of conversations, but somewhere in there it just came out, you know, I, I explained a little bit of what I had been thinking. And by the time the two weeks, it's like almost all my kids were atheists with me. Really? <laughs> Some of them came with it, you along oh, that journey? Right away. They were so eager to ditch it because it was such an oppressive lifestyle for them. They hated it. Did they know that? I mean, I'm just trying to think if they've been living and growing up in this bubble. It's not like they went to public school mm-hmm. and saw what mm-hmm. all these other kids were doing. This is kind of all they n- have ever known. So how do they know that there's something better out there? You know, I'm not really sure. It was a mystery to me because I would see the Duggar kids. Those girls looked like they were so into it. They just right. loved the diapering and the, <laughs> right. you know, homeschooling their younger siblings and all this. And I was like, why don't my kids have this? <laughs> you know, why don't they Every, catch the vision? Because they did everyone doesn't love changing diapers? They just diapers. didn't like it. Yeah. And so it, it was really easy for them to say, you know, yeah, forget it. And when I put them in public school, it was amazing. They had this opportunity to all of a sudden... You know, instead of saying, here's how your life has to be. Yeah. I was like, okay, what do you want to do? How old was your oldest one at this time? My oldest at home was 16. So she was right in high school when she's making this transition. It was was harder on the older ones. Yeah. But it was also this time of discovery where they could, you know, they were free to yeah. think what they wanted to think, to learn what they wanted to learn, to, you know, basically invent themselves. And it was pretty exciting to watch them. And it turns out, you know, they talk about children being a blessing. But when I had to control every little detail down to their thoughts, it it wasn't that fun. And I realized I didn't really enjoy my kids that much because I was so busy, you know, keeping it all together, <laughs> keeping them in line. But when I dumped that and said, go for it, kids, all of a sudden, they're, you know, more fun they're, when they have minds they're of their awesome own. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love my kids way more now. I enjoy them a lot more now than uh, I ever did. How long ago was that from now? That's been about eight years ago now. Eight years ago. So mm-hmm. let me jump forward a little bit. So you started this blog, No Longer Quivering, mm-hmm. where you're talking about these issues, you're uh, you're helping other women. You hear from other women, I know, who are yes. going through something similar. Mm-hmm. Are they all having the same concerns you did? Or are they, what are some of the concerns that they're dealing with that you never had to deal with? Well, for one thing, you know, even though we believed that God's way is for the man to provide the income, we still had the reality of the fact that my ex husband was blind. And so, we needed more of an income to be able to support, you know, this quiver full of children. So I started a Christian family newspaper. And even though technically I was a stay-at-home mom, I was running a business. And so I did have the skills and the ability to support myself and my children. And so that was a big help. And not all women who are leaving the lifestyle have that sort of exactly. ability to be self-sustaining. Exactly. So many of them have been out of the workforce. Some of them have never even gone to college. Yeah. And so, you know, when you have to start out and you're trying to, um, you know, you've got a quiver full of kids. You've got half a dozen or more. And all of a sudden it's like, how are we going to support, you know, it, it is a big issue. Um, it's also common for these women when they leave to lose custody of their children because their their husbands, um, they come across a lot of times as 
you know, these great leaders <laughs> from the outside, they look like, you know, men of God. And the wife, all of a sudden, you know what, are you an atheist? This, these kind of issues come up. And so it is common for the, for the women to lose right. their children. She has children. no skills or a job mm-hmm. and stuff. Exactly. So what are you going to do when you have custody? That's horrible. Right. So what have you learned from writing the blog that you didn't know before? That you didn't know about the lifestyle, that you didn't know about yourself from hearing these stories and, and dealing with these stories now? You know, I've learned so much. I was when I started writing it, it was just basically my way of processing because I had been, um, you know, fairly active in that community. I had written articles, um, and you know, for the different Quiverful magazines, I had my own paper where we were talking about, you know, pro family values and everything. And I felt like, you know, I don't want to just disappear. I feel like I kind of need to give an explanation to these people who I, you know, there are women who had said, you know, here's my baby who wouldn't be here if I hadn't read your article. So I felt like I kind of needed to try and explain myself. And that's how I started the blog. Um, What I didn't realize is how it it would resonate with so many people who never went that far down the road in fundamentalism. But that whole patriarchal um, mindset is is there anyway. And a lot of times when you see it, you know, full-blown in Quiverful, looking at that, it makes it, it kind of just like illuminates where it's it's there in your own head. And so, so people are relating to it and they're saying, oh, yeah. And, you know, just to um, to be able to expose that in a way that a person can say, okay, this is what, this is why it's not working for me. This is the the hang-up that I've got in my head that I need to, you know, work on that issue. What questions do they ask you when they contact you? Um, you know, a lot of times when, when quiverful women come to the blog, you know, it used to be that there was just one or two, and, you know, and it was basically... What happened to Vicky? You know, because they knew who I was, and then they heard that I started this blog, and so just out of curiosity, they'd come and they'd read. But what happens is, is when they're reading it, and at first they're very defensive. They're like, you know, um, I'm not quiverful. Of course, I, you know, don't use birth control. I do, you know, view children as a blessing, and yeah, I am submissive to my husband because that's what the Bible teaches. But you know, I'm not like that kind of wacko, you know, <laughs> like the the dysfunctional stuff that you're describing. And so they're very defensive, but they keep reading because those stories are compelling. And it's not just me. Well, and how know? often are people writing and, about you and the life that you and lead? So, right. I mean, that's a we- that you want to read that. And so they'll they'll keep coming back and they're reading and it's not very long before you know, there's just this little little dent in their arm, and they'll be like, well, yeah, this is kind of an issue for me, or this isn't really working out for me. Um, but it's amazing, because you would think that somebody who is that steeped in the lifestyle, who is that dedicated, um, and, it, and it takes years to get, you know, that far in. It's not like you just jump in. If somebody would have, you know, spelled out quiverful for me at the beginning and said, here's what a good godly Christian woman is gonna, is like, you know, all the kids and all the, I would have found a, a 
different way of interpreting that Bible so that I could still <laughs> be a good Christian. It doesn't but sound not, pleasant at all. Exactly. But, you, but it was it was a gradual, you yeah. know, incremental thing. And so you think if it takes all that time to get into this, that it would take, you know, it would be like a long journey out. But the thing is that the quiverful lifestyle is so comprehensive. It's like this worldview and it all is interconnected. So all you have to do is take out one piece of that and it's like a house of cards. It just crumbles. And the next thing you know, you're just like, you know, um, I remember when I realized I didn't really believe the Bible, I was like, well, I got to find something that I can just, you know, hold on to and say this much is actually true. This much I can, you know, salvage of my faith. And, uh, and so I like scrambled. I was studying some progressive theology and um, new age, like feminist spirituality, <laughs> like whatever. Um, but it didn't take very long for me to be like, you know, I just think it's all bullshit. Yeah. And, and so I find that that happens a lot. Quiver, uh, no longer quivering is not an atheist website. Right. It, right. It's not out to deconvert anyone. We're just telling our stories and we're supporting each other. But it's amazing the the high percentage of women who come and start reading, and then end up just ditching it all. How so. uh, if they if there's like one or two articles on your site that kind of went viral because you think it made a dent in that community? What were the topics that you were talking about that really connected with them? We have one article called um, "The Making of a Help Meet," and it's a help meet a help meet. That is what, uh, you know, in Quiverful, they say that, you know, Adam was created first and then God created Eve as a helpmeet, meaning someone to come along and, and support his vision, you know. So basically God gives the vision to the man as his mission in his life, and then he gives him a woman who is there, you know, basically to help make that happen for him. And but this this article making of a help me talks about how uh, in these quiverful families they're training their daughters from a very young age to be a help me to their future husbands, and it you know walks through all of the the materials that we use the <laughs> books the the programs, and and so yeah that was one of them that people are like what <laughs> this is how this is what you're doing to train daughters and it, it's That's... pretty. It's pretty eye-opening. I'm sure. So give us a happy ending. What's going on with you now? Because you are far removed kind of from that lifestyle now. Do you still have a relationship with your kids that's going well? Um, I know you're still working on the blog and everything. What are some mm -hmm. of the other things you're working on in general? Um, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying my kids. Yeah. I still have three at home and another, you know, couple that are in the area that come and see me often. And so that's really good. Um, I have just been able to what let go of so much of the the rigidity and the and so I I've had a lot of opportunities to work with these women and it is very rewarding to be able to say you know when when women come to me and say you know you saved my life you saved my kids and uh, so that is really good. I've I've moved on to the point where 
you know, when I first started no longer quivering, I was able to like interpret and say, this is what I was thinking. This is why I was doing it. It's been long enough now that I think, no, I just was delusional. (laughs) It doesn't (laughs) make sense to me. And so I'm not like dwelling there. Um, I've been doing a lot of traveling, um, speaking for um, free thought groups and secular groups. And and I have a, a boyfriend. (laughs) so we uh, you know we hang out we fish we play cards and i'm just um it's a it's very much like this freedom of being able to that you didn't have before exactly yeah yeah uh tell me about the american atheist award because that just seems like a really neat bookend to kind of this part of your life where you were winning an award you said for like family of the year when you were in the careful lifestyle and that award came from the Nebraska Family Council, which <laughs> which is the local version of Family Research Council. So they're which intense, is the, uh, yes, it's a, a hate group. Yeah. You know, and um and so we had worked with our paper, with the influence of our paper, to help get the the Defense of Marriage Act passed in Nebraska. And so that's what that award was about. And so um, you know, to go from that <laughs> Then to atheist of the year, <laughs> and and you know, and people say, well, you know, you just like went from one extreme to the other, and I'm like, well, because I'm an extremist, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't changed my like my basic nature. Yeah, I just have been, you know, been well, able to free myself from having to channel who I am into this very, you know, strict, narrowly defined role of this is what what Vicky's supposed to be like. And I found that to be the case with atheists who, if you were a passionate, you know, evangelical, then Mm. you're going to be a passionate evangelical atheist if you lose. And you know what? If (laughs) I ever found God, I'm sure I'd be the most annoying evangelist you've ever met too. (laughs) But same thing, you were passionate about it. You're going to be passionate about whatever it is that you follow after that. And I want you to bring up one other thing, which is that I remember years ago, I read, I think it was Catherine Joyce's book, Quiverful. Mm -hmm. Quiverful. And there was a passage in it that just, I, that was my introduction, I think, to that lifestyle. But there was one passage in it where she met with a patriarch of one of these families, and he showed her the spreadsheet that he had made. The 200-year plan? The 200-year plan of exactly. this is when I'm going to have, this is when I had kid one, two, three, down to however many, seven, mm-hmm. eight kids. Here's when they're getting married. Here's when they're having their eight, nine, ten kids of their exactly. own. Exactly. And it was all plotted out for not just his life, but his kids' lives and for their grandkids. For your children oh and your children's goodness. children. Scared the shit the... out of me. Because... <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. And that's their plan for taking over the world. Yes. You know, world dominance, <laughs> because you just outpopulate the enemy. That is so much faster than exponential growth that, <laughs> yeah, you get a few families doing this sort of thing within a couple generations. They're everywhere. Right. And yeah, there's only one flaw in that plan. Some people is the can retention leave. Yeah. rate. <laughs> right, right. Right. How many of those kids are going to stick to that plan? Because mm-hmm. I don't know how, you know, a spreadsheet's going to convince them. Exactly. <laughs> Um, thank you for all the work you're doing. We will have a link to your blog uh, on the show notes and everything and keep up the amazing work. I mean, it's a, it's a powerful story. And like you said, I know that when you share it, you hear from so many people who are going through it or who have gone through it and they know they're not alone. So that that helps a lot. Yes. Thank you.